The ruling on the field stands. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say Unstoppable, right? You did say Unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the Mission Unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Wow, good evening. I am the unstoppable Frankie Picasso, and tonight you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. My guest this evening will be our guide into a world that is fresh, innovative, and provocative. She's leading the pack of real thought leaders and putting the standard for anyone who wants to be the leader of the pack. So stay tuned, stay close, and we'll be back in just a moment. Again, it's the Unstoppable Frankie Castle. You are listening to us on Tuesday, March the 31st to Mission Unstoppable Radio. It is 8 p.m. Eastern. And if you have tuned into the live version of the show, feel free to participate by calling in at 646-595-3741. Also, join us in the chat room. It is open at the moment. If you're listening to the archive version, thanks for downloading. Feel free to contact me if you'd, be, uh, if you'd like any more information about my guest or the show itself at frankie at missionunstoppable.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network, and I'd especially like to thank you, you know who you are, for tuning in each and every week. My guest this evening is coming to us from the UK. The Olympics may have left Vancouver recently, but Mindy Gibbons-Klein is coming to Canada and going for 24-karat bowls. In fact, she wrote the book on it, 24-karat bowls, the standard for real thought leaders. A transplanted New Yorker, Mindy now makes her home in the UK, where she's a much sought-after speaker the founder of Real Thought Leaders, and taking her place as the UK's top real thought leadership strategist. Tonight, Mindy's going to identify how to distinguish true innovators from the rest of the pack. And besides her role as a thought leader, she's also the founder of the book Midwife and Academy Publishing. She currently has an enviable list of some 300 published authors, many of whom have received excellent media coverage and book sales. While Mindy herself, who has authored and co-authored four books, had her own book, Business-Wise, reached the top two position on Amazon. So without further ado, let's welcome Mindy. Good evening. Hi, Frankie. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. It's a really great book, and I, you know, as I, as I just started to read the very, you know, first couple of pages in it, I, I had to laugh because um, I was thinking along similar lines about who said this person's the thought leader. Like, they're just repeating stuff. You know? mm. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So why don't you, you maybe give us a definition of, of what thought leadership is, and then we can talk about what real thought leadership is. Okay, sure. Uh, if you look on Wikipedia, if you look on the internet anywhere, you'll find a description that says something like uh, a thought leader is someone who is recognized by their peers and mentors um, for having the courage to share their innovative ideas. Um, So it's good, you have innovative ideas, you share them, and you're recognized. Um, But the peers and mentors thing um, is not really enough. Uh, I think really to be a real fault leader, you need to be recognized by the market, by your clients or customers. Um, and, in, and real fault leadership, uh, in my terms, real is an acronym and there's four components and I'm sure we can discuss them all at length. Um, and it's, it's just really put, putting a little bit more rigor into that definition. Um, I, but in the end of the day, it's the market that will tell you if you're a real fault leader or not. And they vote with their feet, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe give a couple of examples of who you think are real thought leaders today or in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the ultimate uh, real thought leader, uh, in my opinion, is Henry Ford because mm-hmm. um, he had the idea that this horseless carriage thing would take off, and uh, he was ridiculed and um, you know went against the grain. 
and invested all his time and efforts and money into creating what is now the production line and obviously the horseless carriage you know is an essential part of our our daily life right. um you know i there's a lot of authors who um try to make it big but it's a competitive marketplace and so any business author who really takes off and is uh, noticed and I suppose recognized by their peers, mentors, and market um, becomes a, a thought leader. And the, the obvious ones are my hero, Seth Godin, and Malcolm Gladwell. These are people who they're really saying different things, and and I think that's the key is um, having that courage and saying what you believe and giving a lot of substance, not not just making statements and letting them lie flat. So do you know if you're a thought leader if everybody's repeating what you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be a start. I mean, we're so lucky to have things like Twitter now. Um, somebody told me that all you have to do is, you know, count your retweets. If you're not being retweeted, then that tells you something. Oh, um, that's funny. So that's, that's a bit worrying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said in your book, and, I, and I, I brought it up at the beginning, you said, uh, through my annoyance, I could still see the relevance in identifying and recognizing true thought leaders. Our planet and society are facing enormous and unprecedented challenges that only new thinking will resolve. And I think that's really an important statement because, you know, as, as we go about our daily life and we look at our children um, as they grow up and, and we go out into the marketplace and, and we do business with these young adults, um, sometimes you look and you get a little bit afraid and you wonder, mm. you know, is, is there substance there? Is there somebody that's yeah, going well, to you know, lead the pack? That's right. I and mean, you know, someone's got to lead our society out of, I won't call it a mess, but uh, it's a, some dire circumstances. You know, here in the UK, uh, similar to the US, we, we've had great financial challenges over the past past few years, and um, you know, real really big challenges to overcome. Um, that that you know, I think um, past and and even current thinking will not necessarily cope with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of um, I can't remember his name, but the fellow who um, invented Napster had a lot of press around it. But you know that was new and innovative for for the internet to be able to download music, the the one that you want right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's pretty. Yeah. I think that that's really um, even though he got you know in trouble for it, as far as you know the, the musicians are concerned, they're not getting their due. Uh, you know, the dues paid to them. Let's say um, it, it is taking advantage of, of something, you know, that, that is in front of us and, and saying, okay, how can I do this better? How can we do this, you know, in a new and innovative way? You now, there are companies who are who are paying employees. Innovation funds are, are being set up. What does that say? Well, you can pay somebody any amount of money, but that won't necessarily make them come up with new ideas. Um, I don't think that one... Um, <laughs> One guarantees the other, but uh, it's a start, I guess, to, to you know say that you're in favor of innovation. But um, you know, I think that that kind of thinking is a bit flawed, because the best kind of innovation comes because somebody has a sense of purpose. Um, they they have a big mission that they want to uh, to take care of, and it doesn't matter what they're paid or if they're paid. You know, mm-hmm. some of the best thinkers in in history, um, you know, were were pretty poor <laughs> while they were doing their thinking. Like Gandhi. So, um, so, so these, yeah. are, these are world change agents, really. Is, is, is yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, the, the problem, the only reason why I use the term thought leader is because I saw it being abused, and I, I just thought, well, if we're going to use it, let's get some criteria around the term, and then we can talk about it. But don't throw terms around like that, you know, with, without having something to back it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you know. I mean, it is bandied about, and people, oh, this is the next, you know. And it's like, you know, I, I, I just heard that, you know, somewhere else. It, it, it's very disturbing to see um, self-proclaimed thought leaders. Maybe that's what it is, or self-proclaimed. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I was just interviewed for um, the biggest NLP magazine in the UK, and I was just reading what um, what I said. <laughs> it's in- interesting, you know, to read back what someone got, yeah. and um, it, it was it was really interesting because the point that I made, she 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 brought it out twice. The interviewer was that 
it it shouldn't be an ego trip. I it, I want people to consider being thought leaders to have a, you know innovative and, and disruptive thinking, positive thinking that that can transform society. But God forbid you should ever call yourself a thought leader or a guru or one of these things. Can you imagine you know meeting somebody at a networking event and you know uh, hello I'm so and so you know I lecture at university. Oh hello I'm I'm a guru. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really ring true. Um, so I think we should, if we do good work and if we are doing leading-edge uh, thinking and you know, providing a lot of value, other people will bestow the title on us. We mm. don't have to call ourselves these things. You know, it's, that, that's very true. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you, you also make a good point in your book. You talk about, I mean, not everybody's a leader. We need, we need followers. There has to be, you know, there's a cook and and there's the the, the prep, you know, the prep uh, staff and 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 the sous chef and all of those people to make it all work. And so you have a chief and you have a bunch of or an Indian and you know um, somebody mm-hmm. has to follow the leader, and that's okay too. That's okay too, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Recognize that that this is you want it. Maybe there are lots of people out there that don't have the personality to lead, and and they think of these things and and they don't feel that they're the right person. Maybe they don't have the right personality or the right, um, uh, you know, just whatever it is. There's je ne sais quoi around there to, to, to pull it off. But they can stand behind good thoughts, and, and that's important too. Yeah. Well, as, as we said a few minutes ago, um, we, we've got Twitter, and people can retweet, and they can uh, forward, you know, your blog, and they can be talking about you. You know, you, if you give them something good to proliferate, and if it really is good, it will proliferate. They will forward it on. Um, I, I heard a statistic the other day, Frankie, that apparently only 8% of all Twitter tweets are sent on, are retweeted. Only 8%. That means 92% just sit there and people are like, yeah, okay, you know. Or they I've <laughs> never sent one eight. on. In my, I've never oh, sent one on. Oh, really? Yeah, no. I really haven't. I haven't had anything that I thought was really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not going to send on that, that, you know, you're having your coffee now and, you know, <laughs> I get the most ridiculous tweets, really. So, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't send them on. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, I would if I recognize something, obviously. If I thought, well, the next, I time, the next time you see on. one of mine, you, you can send one of mine on. Well, I will. I will. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's truly in this networking world right now, um, I, like, you, we both belong to Academy. We met on Academy, and right now um, on Academy, where, where it says, you know, what are you doing? It, it, my, my, my tweet or whatever you want to call it says, don't try to sell me something without finding out who I am. Don't. This is what's happening now, and it's really bothering me that in this networking world, in this you know cyber world, that people um, used to make genuine relationships they used to want to know hey mindy you know who are you and what do you do and frankie you know um it's nice to meet you not hi i've got this wonderful blog why don't you go read it why mm. should i tell you know yeah. what does it have to do with me you haven't engaged me you're you what about you know givers get what about all that stuff i want to i want to have a relationship first and then you can sell me something even if it's yeah. an idea well, really? especially if it's especially if it's an idea. I mean, I don't know if you got to the part of my book where I say the cream always rises. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean to give the book another plug. I, it's just no. I want you to give the book a lot of plugs. That's why you're here. But yeah, <laughs> if it if it is a great segue, take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. I mean, I didn't make up the statement, but I remind people that cream rises to the top. So if it's something good, it will be noticed. People will pick up on it. They will see the value. Um, if you're providing value, be it you know live or on the internet, people will get that about you. Um, if if you come from a caring and sharing place and you're providing good content that helps people, um, it it will naturally rise to the top because you know all the other stuff uh, naturally will sink to the bottom. <laughs> so what do you think about this Facebook thing, Mindy? You know, getting thousands of people to follow you and people that you probably don't even know um what do you is it numbers or is that something that got flawed do you know you mentioned eCademy and i can never talk about you know the massive networks like facebook without talking about eCademy where 
as you know, we built up very good, um, solid, deep relationships. It may be shifting now, but what I learned at Academy uh, came from the founders, and that is it's the random nature that can have some magic in it. I didn't believe it at first, but um, you know, being open to random connections can actually be very powerful. The thing is, I don't recognize every name, every invitation that you know pe- people invite me to be friends or contacts or follow them. But I usually say yes. I mm-hmm. I usually you know even LinkedIn open networkers. I usually say yes because my feeling is you just never know. You never you know we're, we're all busy. We don't know that much. But I'd rather not close a door. I'd rather open say- the door. You know, Corey, do you say yes and and just move on, or do you go to their page and see what they're about and say yes? If I no, usually I don't even have time. In fact, some of my networks are set up to automatically accept people, which might okay. sound shocking. The way I figure, it's well, no, just, it's, that's not shocking because you have a network set up to accept people. So that means people are coming to you to, you know, they, they're interested in what you do. Yeah, well, if they've made an approach for any reason, I want to be approachable. So that's my policy is to connect, connect, connect. You just never know where someone's going to take a look at my profile because we're connected. If if I say no to the connection, then... Mm -hmm that, as I say, that's closed the door. Um, I may not have a lot of time to look at theirs, but one day one of their things might pop up in, in an update or something like that, and then I just figure, well, if it's meant to be, I'll see it. it. Honestly, so many great things have happened because of random connections where, you know, I've gone to an event, I haven't known anybody, but, I mean, but that's not always the point of going to an event. Right, you right. And, you know, you meet new people. Well, I think it's the same on the web. I think it's like going into an event where you don't know a lot of people, but you just say, oh, it might be fun. You never know who I might meet, and you never know who they might know. And that's completely random. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm I would the kind of person who goes to an event and knows everybody at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to get out more than. <laughs> I think so. I kind of like that. So this, this, the idea of this thought leader, this innovator, um, we talk about bold language, being provocative, um, wanting recognition, um, leaving a legacy. Is, is this an egomaniac? Is this somebody who, do you need ego for this? Well, you know what, Frankie, I, I'm, I studied a little psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but... I think I understand that every human being needs to feel important and recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they don't, then we see problems erupt. We, you know, where people uh, go overboard and, and try to get attention. And yes, they can become egomaniacs, coming from some kind of, you know, insecure place. I, I'm mm-hmm. really, you know, <laughs> without getting onto the couch here, I think that's what is driving people who. Uh, seem to be excessive attention seekers. So I'm talking about something a bit different. I'm talking about just you know giving people the chance to be recognized, just just get their basic needs met in terms of feeling important, feeling like they're contributing to society, feeling like they have something to say. Um, if they feel that they would like to share a message and they're not able to do that, or they feel that people aren't listening, um, they're going to be frustrated and. You know, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, crisis they might get into eventually. So I'm just talking about um, allowing people to share their messages. If they want to go bold, then they've got to actually share the boldest message, what they really want to say, and they've got to share it widely. And, you know, if they choose not to do that, that's a different story. But everybody has should have the right uh, to express themselves. And this is very Western thought. And you know, very democratic and everything. But you know, that's that's where you and I. I, I, I love that. I think you know, everybody should be allowed to say what what they feel and think. I, one of the when I think of bold, I think of Richard Branson. I mean, to me, he's mm-hmm. very bold. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. He's, he's he's just absolutely great. I think he's you know phenomenal in in the ideas, and and just saying, um, yeah. Anything's possible. Let's do that. (laughs) Yeah, let's go to the moon and charge people. (laughs) But but the thing about Branson, yeah, but he he was actually very shy as a child. And I think 
um, he would say he still is, but he's learned <laughs> to share his ideas despite that. He's he's learned to um, get over his fears and um, you know get out there because the the dream is more important. And he, he now has a whole system for bringing new ideas into the market. If people want to be like Branson, they have to look at the three components that I was saying before. They have to look at um, what they're doing with their ideas. Are they coming up with great ideas on a regular basis but keeping them to themselves for some kind of fear, fear of ridicule ridicule and all these things? Um, And then, you know, having the courage to share them and finally being open to the recognition. You 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 can't hide under a rock um, because if you do start sharing your ideas, people will want to hear from you. They want a piece of you. They, you know, they want to interview you <laughs> at right. one in the morning. <laughs> That's right, at one in the morning. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I love it. The the so let's go. Let's let's talk about the standard, the real. What the real is the acronym. I don't know why I'm coughing. It real is the acronym. Uh-huh. And yeah. let's talk about the the R. Yeah. Well, the R. The R, the R is actually for reach. And the thing is, um, you know, with the Internet and with the way society moves at such a fast pace, we can develop a, a large reach, um, larger than, I would say, any other generation. If you think about what it would have cost somebody to uh, have thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people know about them, in the past, that would have involved advertising and that would involve would have involved oh. the big bucks. Oh, you know? yeah. So yeah. Now, a tiny little you, ad, even a tiny little ad in newspaper oh. is like $800,000, $900,000. Exactly. And that's For not sure. real reach anyway because you have no, to be in there local. all the time before people, yeah. So now you can have a really, really great reach. You can reach um, lots and lots of people. If you, As I said before, if you're saying something significant and you're getting retweeted and you're getting people talking about you, then um, your reach can be huge. And what people are finding is, of course, um, the niche, or what you call the niche, uh, is the way to extend your reach in a sensible way. So it's not like you want every single person on the planet to know about you. Um, it makes more sense if it's what you have to say is relevant to them. So that relevant group of people should know about you. And, and when they do, then you've got good reach. Um, so that's the first criterion to, to see if all the people who should know about you do know about you, um, and usually the answer is no. You know, it could be better. So um, you know, we have to. <laughs> there's really only one. There are two ways to extend your reach. That's by writing and publishing, or mm-hmm. by speaking, and right, um, right. You, you, to get your message out. So you want to be the one that people think of when they think of that product or service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they have to know about you. That's that's kind of like the the. the basic component that's the first now, step. Now, you talked about being um, you know, a big fish in a small pond. Moving from New York to the U.K. allowed you to do that. Yes, although that wasn't strategic. That's just the way it worked <laughs> out. <laughs> I'd love to say it was all in Life the happens. plan. <laughs> but but I, I realized because I, I have been building up my business network in the U.S., um, you know, because I'd, I'd like to have two Bases. I'd like to be able to say I'm based in New York and London. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've spent a lot of time building that up. And to extend your reach in a place where you're not known, starting from you know, a cold start, is really challenging. Uh, it, it's, it's working. I'm, I'm starting to get some traction. But, uh, boy, you know, with, with time zones and, and the flights and the, you know, the airfares of being hiked and strikes and God knows what, um, it, you've got to maintain you know, two client bases now. So that, but that was a strategic decision that I just made a couple of years ago. I said mm-hmm. I would like to develop my U.S. base again. Um, so, but that's the beauty of of this kind of thinking. If you do it strategically and you say, okay, this is what I'm ha- this is what I'm aiming to do, you then go and execute on that. So, you know, I've given up all the other things I was doing, going out to Dubai, and you know, I I, I want to go west, not east, mm-hmm. and and that's right. what I'm doing. Yeah. Good, good um, advice. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and and oftentimes people don't realize this from a coaching perspective is that you may have to drop a bunch of people along the way, people who may hold you back from your dream, people, and and is you know it may seem callous, it may not, but um, a lot of people 
can resent the, I guess, uh, the rise or the the, um, the ideas. It scares them in their in their stratosphere, and and so um, sometimes you have to leave people behind. I, I have found that you know the, the their fear of of your success is uh, can, can hold people back, and that's why yeah. you know we talk about opportunities. Um, they're not necessarily lost; they're just not actioned upon because of mm. that. It's like you know, you, like you said, you have an idea. Sometimes you have a great idea, and and you hear other people go, "Oh, I had that idea." <laughs> they didn't yeah, do anything they with didn't it. Share it. They didn't right, share it. Exactly. Yeah. So the next step after after reach is is the E part is of the engagement. Process, the engagement. Yeah. So because you can you can reach a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know about you know some serial killers and you know we know their name and everything, but um, you know we don't respect them. We all know about um, you know people who've who've done bad things and you know we know people who you know the are very loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's tons of bad examples. So right. reach without engagement is worth very little um, because if you want to have some results, you need both. And when I talk about engagement, um, it's a word that you'll hear in, in corporate society, but I think even people who run a very small business or even a one-man band should be thinking about this because um, the other day I was I was trying to explain to a group of people that you – there is no such thing as one to many. We think this broadcasting, you know, using the internet, blogs, and Twitter is broadcasting, and it's one to many. Mm-hmm. But you may have heard that expression, yeah. but it's not. It's actually you're unless you are standing in um, on a stage and addressing a group of people, uh, it's not one to many. And even even there, it's one to one many times. So you know, even if you're standing on that stage and and talking to an audience. Each person is hearing you individually, so it, it, you should never um, engage in in a way that is only one to many in broadcast mode. It, it's quite a tricky and, and subtle way of communicating. And well, you did my, it in, in this client. book, and and I did it in my book too. Is is that we wrote to the you? We wrote to you, an individual, you know, the individual, an individual you. Because Indivi- yeah, yeah. well, that's really you. that's a good distinction. Absolutely, people will. Um, I'll I'll see in books, and I and it sets my teeth on edge. I'll see people write. Um, you know, most of you, and and I don't want to. I don't want to see that in a book. You know, most no. of you will have encountered. You know, I don't want to feel I'm part of of a group. So absolutely, I I do train my clients to speak to the individual, and I think when when that person feels that you're speaking directly to them. They feel that you've engaged. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a and it's a it's a wonderful tool, and people like that. And and I I've heard that many times about you know my book that that I wrote with you. It, you know, folks tell me that it seems like you're right there with me, Frankie. It, it sounds like you. You know, and that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. And this book sounds exactly. like you. <laughs> and that's so what you good. Want. <laughs> yeah. So engagement engagement is is um. Is more than just getting people to read it. It's getting people to want to read you over and over again. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about achieving then. Well, um, if you need to achieve, if if you want to achieve, you need to be seen as the authority in your field. Mm-hmm. And there's there's usually one person who rises to the top, as you were saying at the beginning. Um, as the the main person, um, we call it authority because um, not a, an authority figure, of course, but this is the person who has the authority. Um, apparently, when you write a book, you're an instant authority, and the word author is even in the word authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very clever, but uh, but true, isn't it true? It's it still true, true that if somebody's written a book, yeah, they're the authority on that. They know what they're talking about. And um, to be a real thought leader, you do have to be recognized. Usually, the person has written and published something. And and you know, as, as with the book Midwife that um, the other company in the, in the academy publishing that you have, it's a wonderful tool for to get people in front of an audience and to become an instant authority by having this book. And and so folks should think about that in their in their engagement and in their achievement. Um, yeah, but, the right, the but right. you have to. 
<clears throat> it has it's to something have new. Substance. You have to write something new. Yeah, it has to be something new. It has to be doesn't have to be groundbreaking. It has to be authentic. Um, you know, when you engage with good ideas, people will will get whether you're coming from you know the right place um, or if you've just put together some words that you think sound good. Um, they can tell, can't they? Well, yeah. I mean, I how many times have you read The Secret a hundred times? <laughs> really? Okay. I, I happen to have seen the DVD. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, it, it, I don't mean that you actually read the book or saw the DVD a hundred times, but it's it's proliferated. It's it, it, people are just mm. taking it and, and making and saying, "Oh, I know what it, this is all about," and they're using that those words and that language, and and it's like mm, that's nothing new. Like, mm. why do you even yeah. bother? <laughs> really? Somebody well, already said that. I don't know. Put a twist to it. Can, Put a new twist yeah. to it, and you've got something new. Yeah, I mean, I push myself to come up with new and original things just because I I believe that my clients and my um, you know loyal readers want to hear something special and, and original. So I you know that's what I spend most of my time doing is you know really crafting things for them. Um, if I feel that it's it's not new or original enough, then I don't release it, and I would never try to put my name on something which is someone else's idea. But that that's yeah. me. Other people have different values. Well, that's my value too. What's the point? Uh, <laughs> to me, it's like what's the point of doing that? But um, it, it really, I don't think that would be a thought leader, a real thought leader to me, to do that. Although there well, are people who have tweaked things, um, you know, and and made them better. You've got you've got Bill mm-hmm. Gates with Microsoft. You've got Apple. They're both computers, but they're totally different computers. You know, yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, but those guys are in it for the long run, and and of yeah. course, you know, the 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 last part of our acronym is longevity. You have to be there for the long term. People have to remember you for a long time. Um, you know, your idea, if, especially on Twitter, is off the page in like three seconds because it's it's like the Matrix now. You know how much stuff yeah. comes onto the screen. Um, but the the people who have really solid stuff, who uh, find a way to engage with their readers in an authentic way, um, and who reach the right people, will have that longevity. All the all the elements work together, and. That's what you need. I'm not saying this is the only way to determine if someone's a thought leader, but I thought it was worth coming up with some criteria that at least people could could measure against, um, because there were none. There was there was there was no standard, um, and I just don't like people trying to play a game where they don't know the rules. That's true. Be, you know, when when you think about longevity and you think about um, real thought leaders, sometimes innovators. Um, like to move on. They like to go to new things. Sometimes, um, so the longevity, I'm thinking maybe of, of somebody like Louise Hay or, or Conan Nightingale who, who have a field, you know, they're innovators in their field and, and, and they've been around for a very long time. Um, but you can still keep adding new products that keep you engaged, the, the, you know, the, the person, the thought leader engaged in, in thinking up new things. Yeah, well, well, think about some of these guys, you know, like Seth and like Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And, you know, they have several books. There's a common thread that runs through all of their books. There's, you know, there's something that can be said, um, you know, for Seth that he's he's all about marketing and engaging and getting people's attention. And, you know, he's in the same space that, that I'm working in. Um, you know, Gladwell's all about bringing obscure and crazy things to, to the public eye and, you know, making people think. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, helping people understand something new. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what they write about because it all comes back to that thing. Well, um, I, I guess Stephen Hawking would definitely be a thought leader, a real thought yeah. leader. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Oh, I think, you know, the, the fact that these people are um, just at the front of our mind when we know thousands and thousands of, of business and social leaders, the fact that these guys leap to mind means that they probably are. Positive change, important ingredient? Yeah, um, I believe so. Again, you know, the whole point about my book is I'm just postulating what I think is is a good way for people to, uh, you know, to look at thought leadership. I think that if it's to do with a positive change, um, then you can consider 
them to be a thought leader. If if it's something that's um, destructive, if it's something that is you know going to hurt a segment of the population, in the end, it's not going to be considered thought leadership. It, it's you know it's going to be one of the vices, you know, greed or gluttony or you know all these um, issues which which have got us into trouble over the past few years. Um, so that's just my own personal thinking coming in there because. You know, we we really do need this the, these big disruptive changes. Disruptive, I said, not destructive. Yeah. Um, you know, so people can create a big shift out of of you know what has become a bit of a hole. Yeah. I, I think there, there's good thinking going on, and um, the main reason why I wrote the book and why I I do all this speaking and writing and and you know work so hard is because there are people out there who have ideas to share they they have a contribution to make and they don't give themselves permission or they don't realize that they've been given permission mm-hmm. by society they feel that you know it's it's not going to be valued or they're frightened to share or they've been shot down in the past for their ideas and, or they and don't want to be seen as being like you you have the example of the the executive um, of the organization, and the organization can't be innovative. It's it's the leader of the organization that's innovative, and yet he doesn't want to step forward and take mm-hmm. the the acknowledgement or the recognition. Well, that that's one of my um, that's one of my key missions this year. Really, is is just to to show business leaders in particular that in in having that title, you know, with the title comes the responsibility mm-hmm. of leading leading doesn't just mean you know being a title leader leading means leading your organization and also i believe now it's public people expect to hear from the ceo or the president of the company they they want to see that person on video they want to read articles and blogs written by the president of the company mm-hmm. or the country i i do um, you know, I, you know for yeah. me it's been always really important that a company um, if I read their mission and vision, that that I see, you know, their executives walk the talk. I want them to be in alignment with that. Or there's discordance. There's discordance in the organization itself, but it's discordance, you know, in engaging the folks who who you want to um, look at you as as the leader of the pack. Yeah. Well, in you know, I believe that um, that Bill Marriott is a good example. He shows up in the book as well because there's a lot of hotel chains, and yet he's visible and vocal. He writes his own blog, and it comes from the heart, and um, people make that connection with him. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's amazing what uh, the Obama team was, was able to do, and he's uh-huh. still doing. I'm on their list, um, you know, just, just out of intellectual curiosity, yeah. not even living in the country, but, you know, it's absolutely amazing how you feel that you have a personal connection with the mm-hmm. president that i mean that never happened before no. and they've not they've not done it in a manipulative way i don't think um you know just like bill marriott what they're doing is they're they're opening up that channel and sharing so that people feel that they're able to share and engage back and um that creates a whole lot more good communication and uh, trust and everything else um, and you can't buy that. As I say, no amount of advertising could give you the same thing. No, no. It, it's a, definitely a quality organization, and and um, it, it is really wonderful. Like you know, you, you think of a Jack um, a Welsh or you know names like that in in, in mm-hmm. for Westinghouse. You just you just um, you can you can respect them and, for standing up for who they are, and, and you know the books and and. Uh, finding out more about who they are as people and, and what went through their head, like Lee Iacocco, you know, his book really, mm-hmm. I felt, really helped engage us to Chrysler and to his mission. This was a guy mm-hmm. who, yeah. you know, had a dream. Yeah. And and uh, I'd love to be able to read their books and see where they came from and, you know, their thoughts and yeah. and how they how they brought them into uh, reality because that's really, you know, what I'm all about is, is helping people turn their dreams into uh into you know real think real action. So, yeah. So can you imagine if if all these guys uh, were to hold back and and say, oh, you know, I'm too busy, or you know, I'm not a writer, or you know, whatever, and some excuses, 
and we wouldn't hear from them. We wouldn't have their leadership. We wouldn't have the direction. Um, you know, people do crave that. I, I think that it actually translates into profits. I think that the final um, benefit is that when you get thought leadership out there and you develop that trust, when push comes to shove, you know, me booking my hotels, I'll always see if there's a Marriott first. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not just because of Bill's blog, but, you know, it helps. And I feel like I know, you know, the person who runs that company. It's a subtle thing, but they've built that trust. As I say, you can't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talking about writing and publishing, though, for executives, um, mm-hmm. you talk about in the book, uh, you're, um, you don't like the ghostwriter. Uh, yeah. For them. yeah, I've I've um I've been challenged on this several times in the past and since bringing the book out. I'm what I'm saying is that um, if somebody is a real fault leader, they should really be able to write their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Real fault leaders can write um, their own stuff in their own way. I don't think the public is looking for literary perfection. I think the more important thing is that that person is able to put their ideas together. I mean, they're leading a company, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. They should be able to, you know, string a few words together and a few thoughts. And certainly do some stuff on video because, you know, they're able to speak. And, and there's all kinds of training if they need help with that. But they should be there delivering their message. So, you know, if they did have a book ghost written and then people wanted to hear more from them or they expected to hear from them in person or on video, they wouldn't be as articulate. It, it, would, right. it would just come across sounding different. So what's the point of that, of having it you know, sound a little bit better um, when it's not as natural? Personally, I've never met anybody who's been 100% happy with their ghost-written book. Yeah, and I, I, do have I, a lot I, of friends, I have you know? to agree with you. I used to write speeches, and it's very difficult to write in somebody else's voice. Yeah, and, you know, especially you know, you can do a speech, but to do a whole book, you know, well, you're not in their it, head. It, it's very hard. There are many, many ghostwriters out there, and some of them are good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not bashing the profession. What what I'm saying is, I mean, if no, people absolutely counter won't, you know, they they'll get a ghostwriter. And but what I don't want, and and what I have seen, which annoys me, is. Um, executives shirking their responsibility and claiming that they're too busy, um, it, it actually doesn't save any time to work with a ghostwriter because by the time you brief them and go through the various drafts and say, no, no, I, I wouldn't say it like that, actually, you know, by the time you do all that, you might as well have written it yourself. I mean, you know that my my process is really fast. So, is you fast. know, 50 hours and you're done. So yeah. if an executive's not willing to spend 50 hours putting their thoughts together, then I would seriously doubt their commitment to to me, um, their, their, their I mean, follower. I, I think I, I wrote my book in six weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty but fast. That, it doesn't have to take any, any longer. I, since then, by the way, and that was a few years ago, yeah. um, I've had two or three more people do the book in um, in about five or six weeks. But my, my average is seven to eight weeks now. It, it really... It can be done by anybody, and if, if the person is in um, a position of leadership, then it's their responsibility, I believe, to, to put their thoughts together, you know, in their own words share and share words. them. That, right, that's let's just, talk about that's the difference between an e-book and, a, and a hard copy book. Uh, do you know what? There's no such thing as an e-book. Did you okay. know that? No. <laughs> because, um, well, here's why. It's either an electronic version of a book, Mm-hmm. a real book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, books that are coming out on Kindle, they're they're real books. They just happen to be electronic. Therefore, they're right. books. They're not e-books, yeah. they're books. And if it's something that's not a book, if it's something that's like, you know, a 17-page report that's mm-hmm. overpriced or whatever, then it shouldn't be called a book at all. Therefore, it shouldn't I have a book in the so title. I find that so annoying. I really <laughs> Exactly. You know, you download this thing and it's like, oh, you know, that, that's got to change. I mean, that's what I was ranting about in the book, and, and it is changing. More and more people will look to Amazon. They'll get things for their Kindle. They'll get real books in electronic format. But I think, here's my prediction, in about 20 to 25 years, mm-hmm. 
most books will be electronic, and people will just call it a book. Yeah. It won't be called ebook. That will be a book. And you know, it's it's just like. Um, Oh, I don't God know. help our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. I do worry, but <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was thinking my <laughs> my teenage kids um, they they use a lot of Facebook chat and they're they're having all these conversations and they used to do MSN and you know so I, I came into my daughter's room she's 15 and um, I said uh, what are you doing she said I'm talking to some friends I said I don't hear any talking I mean they call that typing talking right, so right. I think you know electronic books are just going to be books. Well, my daughter texts me. She's 21. She texts me throughout the day. I get annoyed because I, I, I can't see. You know, I have to go get glasses. And I, have to do it. I find it really annoying. But, you know, what about the speaking engagement? How do you bring, you know, your ebook to to the audience at the back of the room and leave it for them to buy or to look at or peruse? Yeah, it, it's, that's going to have to change. But we, we've got some transition time. I think, you know, you and I are okay because, you know, we'll transition ourselves out and of I this love thing books and, anyway. I like to see them on my bookshelf and... I do, but yeah. I don't know. I think the younger generation really will prefer things on a screen. But you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a futurist. Well, no. My main well, point you know, they'll, is... They'll, they'll probably listen to them on tape. They you may know, the listen to them. As, exactly. Yeah. Audio is very popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, if, but nobody, should, nobody should think about doing an e-book um, thinking that it's easier or quicker because if what they're talking about is producing yeah. something that is of a lesser quality then I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree with that. The Maybe it's cost, I don't know. But you can even do a free book now on, on Amazon, right? I, think I know, yeah. It doesn't have to cost a lot. Um, besides, the people that I'm targeting are CEOs of organizations. They are entrepreneurs who own their own business. They They should be willing to invest a few hundred or a few thousand pounds or dollars into their own profile building. So if they're worried about that small investment, then I'm worried about them. <laughs> right. The you know you talk about um, speaking in public and and if you can't do it, go get help for it. There was um, when I used to work for the government, there was a secretary. Um, yeah, there was a secretary of cabinet who used to speak with um, her head down at the floor, and you couldn't. <laughs> you know, it was awful. I thought you were the leader of this organization of the government of you know 60,000 people and you can't speak and you're called to speak upon many many times I think they owe it to the audience because it's not engaging is it if you if, if you can't look at your audience and, and bring them in so it's you know I, I would think that it's something that people need to invest in to yeah thought leaders and definitely well, it sounds like that lady was shy I, I'm I'm just sure she was here, shy but- but you know, yeah. if you're running, your secretary of cabinet, you know, you need to yeah. uh, get over it. Get over yeah, it. Yeah, get over it. <laughs> exactly. And and you say that speaking and writing complement each other. Now you write they a do. couple of blogs. You you know you've got your books. Like how much time, you know, in 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 you're running this organ. You've got three companies and all the stuff. How much time do you invest in in writing? Like well, your blogs I'm, and all these other extraneous I, stuff. I'm lucky. Extraneous? No, they're core to what I do. Well, yeah. <laughs> See, that I've set the business up in in such a way that when I'm blogging, I'm using stuff that I have prepared. I I did the strategy that that you and I did for the book, and you can use the material multiple times. Some mm-hmm. people call it repurposing. I call it pre-purposing because you, you you do the plan in advance, knowing that you're going to use the content. In blogs, articles, other books, ebooks, podcasts, videos, tweets, you know, interviews, you name it. So mm-hmm. I don't actually have to think. The thinking was all done up front. Okay. All I do is look and see, you know, okay, you want 500 words? Fair enough, I'll do that. Half an hour later, it's done. And I make certain commitments, and I, I will only commit to write for magazines that are relevant to my market where, you know, I think I need to be seen websites that get a lot of hits um you know i've I've had to become quite discerning and i'll only speak actually i do a lot of speaking i'll 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 usually speak anywhere and everywhere because i I like it i like speaking in person i i do you know podcasts and videos and web webinars and this stuff but i prefer the in-person stuff that's me personally i think if somebody's in a, a role where um it's very demanding and they don't have a lot of time 
they're going to have to pick the key things, the ones that will give them the best bang for the buck. And, um, you know, this is where I work with my clients to figure this out. That's exactly the kind of work I find myself doing nowadays is mm-hmm. the strategy of, you know, where they should be playing, where they should be heard, where they should be published, um, you know, and, and getting those things streamlined so that it doesn't take a lot of time. You you talk about um, people really knowing what their core message is. Not everybody can identify they, their message articulately. So do you spend a lot of time with them to um, be able to, to um, you know, uh, let folks know what it is? I mean, there's, well, some people have really great ideas, and, and they, um, you know what they are, but they're not, they're, they can't articulate exactly what their message is. Mm. I, do, I do see that. Yeah, I see that quite a lot. I've, I've now done, as you said, over 300 uh, of those client sessions, mm-hmm. and you know, people are, are constantly coming in with just a, a set of vague, fuzzy ideas and coming out with not only the core message, but all those messages mapped out and, and books planned and, and et cetera. Um, it's never, ever taken me longer than an hour to do the core message portion of, of a meeting. Never. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I, it's, That's I mean, I, what they're all about. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you were really quick. Um, but, you know, people who are um But when you have to finger a lot of pies, it's kind of hard sometimes to say, what is it that I really need to tell people about me? I guess yeah. so. I mean, if if we... When you have a finger in a lot of pies, I'll give you my, my favorite coaching question for that. Okay, so this is, this is helping any anybody who's listening who um, has a lot of pies and a lot of fingers in them. Any time you've got a lot of a lot of things going on and you know it, you, you're getting overwhelmed or confused and you can't narrow it down, just ask my favorite question at first, which is, what do all these things have in common? Mm-hmm. Because there's usually a common thread. Mm-hmm. And and I've made it my mission to help people find the common thread. That's what interests me. People say, I do this, 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 and this. Okay? And what do they all have in common? There's always something. And and sometimes it's very core to the person. And um, sometimes it takes just a little coaxing and tweaking. But it's um, it's the way we have to present ourselves because you can't show up at a networking event with five different cards and all your fingers and all the pies, because people, they can't cope with that. They, mm-hmm. they cannot cope with five things that you do. Yeah, I mean, you, you yourself, you do have a lot of things going on. However, there is a common thread that is, is pure Frankie, and that is, you know, the unstoppable, absolutely, you know, go for it, <laughs> like a bulldozer, you know, with, with your lovely personality. That you know, I haven't phrased it very well at all. That no, that's you know, but that's it, and it's always there. That's the it's essence of you. That's the, it's yeah. it's yeah. I mean, you you know, you're you're unstoppable and elegant and and just nice. <laughs> Those are three words for you. <laughs> I love so, what you, you know, said here. Vanilla is good for ice cream, but not for your communications. And get to polarize no. people. Have them love you or hate you, but get them talking about you. <laughs> well. Some people are afraid to have the hate thing going on. You know, they 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 don't they want to be liked, and if that's somebody's primary value, then we've got to look at that. You know, I I'm not here to you know tell somebody um, you know to make enemies or something like that. Um, but if you are bold, uh, that that's one of the things that that can come from that. You know, I'm sure there's people out there who who hate me, hate what I'm saying. Um, I don't know why. But I'm willing to. I'm, you know, just, <laughs> just I'm willing to do it because there's more good than bad. Right. Right. Okay. So. Well, that, that's fair enough. Um, you say precision is power. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of, of a friend of ours on the academy. Um, he talks about the the power of articulation. Mm-hmm. And have your message be be it strong and and know what it is and have it be clear you know i think i think the the elevator speech works for that one know exactly how to say what you need to say and be precise about it people people aren't mind readers and they need to know what you're thinking and what you're saying well not only that but um I think the elevator, you know, might only go up one floor and you might only have about seven seconds. Mm-hmm. So um, people think elevator speech is really long. 
I think you have to have 10 to 15 words, mm-hmm. a, you know, really precise sentence or phrase, or even, you know, get it down to two or three words if you can. But it, people want to know what you're saying, but it's actually a um, survival mechanism. If If I go to a networking event and I meet 35 people, I will remember those that gave me something to remember. Mm-hmm. So give me something to remember. You're, you're doing me a favor if you tell me something articulate and keep it short. And if it's, if it's memorable, then I will remember you because I don't stand a chance to remember all 35. And, you know, that's why I talk about it. It's, it's just people are too busy. They're you too cluttered like too much noise. USP. <laughs> well, I don't like um, what some people call USPs. I don't like the term because, you know, it focuses on unique and it, you, people sometimes... Um, uh, oh, sorry, for the folks, it's, it's a unique selling oh, yeah. proposition, USP. And unique, yeah, there's very little unique. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so people will do crazy things and, and say, oh, yes, but I'm the only person who coaches clients you know, at three in the morning or what, you know, so what? Are there people who want to be coached at three in the morning, maybe insomniacs, you know, but there's, you, you can get crazy with these things instead of going authentic. That's much more important than unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, and use, the irony is that when you create authentic messages, they will be unique anyway. Yeah. The, um, you talk about women. Mm. How many thought leaders, women thought leaders, well, listen to, if you listen back to this call, mm-hmm. I don't think we named any, which is shocking. Mm-hmm. We talked about Bill Gates. We talked about Steve Jobs. We talked about Stephen Hawking, Bill Marriott, uh, Jack Wells, Lee Iacocca. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Henry Ford, Barack Obama. We, I don't think we named any women. And it, it's just a fact of life that women to date have not pushed themselves into that spotlight as much. I, I honestly believe it, it's just our conditioning. It's, it's um, not as many women will step up or have stepped up in the past. They will in future. And, and you know, you and I and, and other great coaches and, and other inspiring leaders out there are encouraging women and men and young people to, to step up and, and to be seen and heard. But to date, there haven't been as many. I mean, I talk about um, the late, great Dame Anita Roddick, the founder mm-hmm. of The Body Shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was very inspirational and, you know, uh, was against animal testing and, and, you know, was for the environment and fair trade. <clears throat> she was ahead of her time. She was a thought leader and um, very, very successful. But, you know, I really have to rack my brains to think of a lot of women thought leaders. So I think, yeah, that's sad, but it's also an opportunity. I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of speaking to, to women's groups these days, um, and, and there's so much potential. What about somebody like Dionne von Furstenberg? You know, sure. Yes, fashion, but she's been, or Estee Lauder. Yeah, oh yeah, Estee Lauder, who ended up, um, Even yeah, Coco Chanel. Making a big name. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, it's true. Um, Some industry. I mean, it's interesting. Your, your fashions and those industries, which cater to women as well, you're going to find more. Um, but what about on par? What about in, in the business world? What about, well, Hillary Clinton would think she's one, I wish, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, um, and maybe she is. And, and you know, I would, I would like to test her reach, engagement, authority, and longevity mm-hmm. if I had the chance. And, and just see how she measures up, and you know. But she has written, and she is known, and so she, you know, she she does um, check a lot of those boxes, mm-hmm. um, you know. So any anybody who's in the public eye, as I said before, it is already halfway he there. And then in, in the book, you mentioned um, uh, Brad and, and Angelina, and Angelina, and and even Nicole Kidman, who mm-hmm. stands up for women um, around mm-hmm. the world uh, being abused. Um, you know, these, they're doing something. Yes. They're using, you know, they're using their celebrity to, to gain recognition for um, things that need to be changed around the world, which is it's wonderful. Really. Yes. And that, really that's, what I, that's what I advocate because, yeah. um, you know, there's so many people who um, have a lot, 
to share, but they, they haven't got that megaphone that, that some of the celebrities have. So Mindy, really great when they use it. How to reach you because we got 45 seconds. Ooh, it went so fast. <gasps> Bookmidwife.com. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you got that down. Buy 24 karat bold. Buy it. <laughs> on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Am- um, yeah, it's on Amazon everywhere. <laughs> 45 it's seconds. Read, it's a good read, and you can keep reading it over and over because you're going to gain something from it. Um, each and every time, I'm sure there's some nuggets there. Mindy, thank you so much for being up in the middle of the night speaking to us. <laughs> <laughs> thank it's you, Frankie. To to you. Thank you speak, so much. Speak to you tomorrow. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Houston. For a limited time at VisionWorks, you can get two complete pairs of glasses, frames, lenses, the works, for just $49 on single vision glasses and $89 on progressives. And that's a good deal. But we offer that pricing on over 500 frames, which makes it a great deal. Right now, buy two complete pairs of single vision glasses for just $49 or two pairs of progressives for only $89. VisionWorks, we're here to help you. Some restrictions apply. See store for details. Offer expires November 10th.